census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. So 277 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rayhope. You can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are broadcasting here from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, brought to you by Deadly Grounds and the Dorkening Network. Uh, and I'm not here by myself. I am, of course, joined, as always, by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé. There was something else I said last week, but I don't remember what it was, so I'm going to skip it. The... Uh, Michael Phelps of Wine, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Ashes One Nightmare. Hello. I am here. This is Jon Snow. <laughs> He's king in the north. <laughs> this is Patsy. He does stuff. <laughs> I'm Patrick Rayhope. You can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. Or if you're in the movie people business everybody knows me as pj so that's fun pajamas you know and it's funny when like certain people see me and they're so excited and they're like pj like at the rap party that's how people said my name but that's uh a topic for another day i will say though that my my favorite part of your new career path is the parties yeah we had open bar last week at the I Bleacher Bar in Fenway. Open bar. Those are two words I, I never tire of hearing. And I was astonished because you didn't have you didn't have wine. Tell the fine folks at home what you had. Oh, oh, let's let's chat about this drink for a second. Just for a moment before we get um, into our character. So, I mean, we all know that I uh, partake of of large quantities of the vino. I love mm-hmm. wine, uh, red wine, white wine, rosé wine, sparkling wine. I love them all. Mostly the reds. You know, I'm quite partial, but. Um, Looking at the drink menu for this place, I love it when a place does like seasonal drinks or, you know, I like, I like cocktails. I like cocktails. You know, I, I love, I love margaritas. You know, when we go out for, for Mexican, I usually get like a, a margarita or sangria. Jalapeno pineapple or watermelon. Uh, e- or <laughs> watermelon. Didn't you get like a jalapeno watermelon or something once? No, I get a, a my favorite margarita is a jalapeno margarita. With salt. With yes, I like salt with a splash of pineapple juice, a jalapeno pineapple margarita. They're delicious. Uh, and I love the sangrias that you get at Mexican restaurants too because they are some really good like there's a Mexican place up the street called Cancun's and their sangria is some of the best sangria oh, like it's so good. red sangria they put like um 
cinnamon. Uh, not a lot, but they they. they There's always like, like prizes in it. I got like, a whistle once. You got a whistle. You know, different fruits and stuff like that. Uh, they use like a like a like maybe like a cinnamon whiskey or or you know cinnamon brandy or or, or something like that. It's it, it's slightly spiced, just a little bit. Not a lot. It's not overwhelming. But you know, I don't like going to places and their sangrias. It's just wine and juice. With like a little bit of sparkler on top, and it's like no, I, I, you need to, you need to have some schnapps or something. I remember the time you made sangria, and I went and I opened the fridge, and the fumes gave me a buzz, and I was like, holy shit, this is gonna be great. Oh, that I do make a, I do make a really good sangria, <laughs> yeah. really good sangria. Uh, but anyways, so I was looking at the the drink menu for this place, and they had not a lot, but a couple of different seasonal drinks, and. On the menu was a maple bourbon sour. When she said that, I was like, what? And somehow the bartender, she was like, oh, you wanted two of these, right? And I was like, well, I'll drink one. I already ordered a rum and Coke, but whatever. Uh, So I had three. Three of them. I had three. I had two and the rum and Coke. So the first thing we did, we grabbed drinks and then we sat down and grabbed food. They were good. So, um... You know, a, a whiskey sour or bourbon sour is, you know, either whiskey or bourbon uh, with like simple syrup and lemon. Um, it's 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 good. It's it's actually really good. But this one, so it was um, bourbon with maple syrup. Um, this cinnamon, uh, like cinnamon infused simple syrup. Well, they had a cinnamon stick in one of them. um, Yeah, and garnish with a a cinnamon stick. Oh my God, (laughs) these were so good. So good. Uh, Yeah, and but here's the thing. If we didn't have anything to do the next morning, if we didn't have to get up so early uh, and, and, you know, go out and be a person and do the things I probably would have had at least one more because those were delicious. I would have had a couple more, but then one of the producers did give us edibles too. Yes, we had (laughs) edibles too. So uh, by the, by the time we were driving home, you didn't feel a goddamn thing, which is probably good because you know, you were driving. Well, I Uh, ate a lot too. I was just nice. When you get to the point where, you know, you're just you're just a little a little toasty, a little sparkly. Like it's all good. Yeah, you're it's just feeling good. good. Yeah, you're it was calm, just it was relaxed, nice. It was it was grooving. a really nice feeling. That was a you know, and the 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 car was nice and warm on the drive home. Like it was just. <laughs> he it stopped was, and got fries. He stopped and got fries. Like I was oh, I was so happy. I was so happy with my Wendy's fries, eating them in bed at like one a.m. <laughs> oh, it was after that because we didn't get home till one thirty. <laughs> And then we had to be up the next day to go help uh, our, our friend Mike Neal work on his uh, mystery project. He and Joe uh, had a mystery project, and they wanted us to uh, work as production assistants, so we did. What is it about eating in bed late at night that just feels so right? I mean, obviously not all the time, but like when you've been out doing something, like you know, if we go to if we go to a show I think it's or a whatever, thing. you know, and and we get some takeout on the way home or fast food or whatever uh, and it's late and you're really tired and you're in your PJs and you're all comfy and you're in bed and you're just like piling handfuls of fries like into your face because or, you know that once you, know, you finish chewing those chowing fries down you can just on roll Taco over. Bell right like you know you just throw the trash on the floor and just or in the trash bag well you throw well, everything on the floor I 
do not. Yes, you do. There's I a trash bag not. next to the bed on her side, and there's always shit all over the floor around the trash bag. I I didn't play basketball. No, you did not. My aim is not great. I try. <clears throat> a for effort. But that's enough talk about booze and stuff, even though that was a really fun night. And again, the bleacher bar at Fenway Park, we had never been. Uh, it's literally under the bleachers. It was awesome. There was even a dude checking our names uh, at the at the door. It was awesome. It was the first time I've been <laughs> to a party like that. But we are talking today. Uh, you came up with a very interesting getting it to character question. Yes. So if you listen to last week's episode, uh, we decided then that we were going to talk about Lorraine Broughton, Atomic uh, Blonde. And that's who we're discussing today. And it was a fantastic film. And I cannot wait to dive into this character. But thinking of a getting into character question for this, I, I started thinking because Atomic Blonde is based off of a graphic novel. And there are a lot of, you know, graphic novels, comic books, you know, uh, and, and films and materials and stuff based on that. Um, so... Our getting into character question for today is, who are some of your favorite comic book or graphic novel heroines? And obviously bonus points for stating why. Heroin is bad for you. Drugs are bad. Okay. Drugs are bad. Okay. Um, so yeah, you had some on your personal page. How many did you get on the personal page? How many comments did you get? A lot. Yeah, we got a lot in the lot. throwdown page, uh, too. Yeah, you guys really came through for this question, so Coop, thank you like, all so much. Coop threw like 75 characters at us like right away. Uh, we did have a few... Um, we, have, we have some overlaps. Yeah, a lot of people really like Storm, but we'll get into that. I know uh, Stephanie Wiley is a huge, uh, huge fan of Storm. Uh, but to start off, Coop, uh, I think he went in alphabetical order. Yeah, A, D, E. <laughs> like he went in order alphabetically. So organized. So Coop says Alana from Saga. I'm not familiar with that at all. She's amazing and flawed, a character that's a woman, lover, soldier, and mother, and not at all one-dimensional. It looks like she's some sort of like plant-related. I don't know. He posted a picture. I can't tell, but it looks like she's got either wings or, like, plant growth or, like, maybe a lizard tail. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the character or the uh, the comic. Uh, and he also said, uh, Debbie Decay from Tokyo Ghost. Uh, not a lot of people know this one, but it is awesome. I don't know that one either. And then uh, Erica Slaughter, or Erica's Laughter, I'm not sure, from Something is Killing the Children. He said, read this comic, Wowzers. I did not expect him to bust out an Inspector Gadget line. Uh, I just realized I, when I said Erica's laughter, I had actually commented that two days ago. Um, but yeah, Erica Slaughter, she looks like she has glowing hair. She's got like a, a neck gaiter, but it's got like big scary teeth on it, and she has a, a sword. Uh, then Agent 355 from Why the Last Man, uh, the series and the comic. And again, I'm not familiar with uh, that one either. I mean, I, I know it's a TV series, but apparently they canceled it already. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like, oh, everyone is really enjoying this, and it's gone. So uh, what have you got on, on, on yours? So our fabulous friend Jenny Ismi says, Josie from Joelle Jones' Lady Killer and Noah from Skydoll. I don't know either of those. I've heard of Lady Killer. 
I may have, but like that might have been something else. Like all I all I can think of is the line from uh from uh Adam's family. <gasps> Isn't he a lady killer? Acquitted. <laughs> At the time I didn't know what that meant, but I just knew it was a court term, so I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, what else you got on there? Who's next? So our friend Kaylee Holmes, Kells from the Crypt, says Winona Yarp. Yarp? Arp? Winona, Winona Earp? Earp? Earp. Like Wyatt Earp? Why? Oh, that oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I pronounce things really well. <laughs> Winona Yarp? <laughs> Winona Earp. She oozes feminist badassery and perfected the science of sarcasm. She uses her label as the family's black sheep to her advantage. And I mean, she kills demons. So there's that. Uh, that's that's a good one. Uh, I know uh, Joe, Joe Lemieux, our good friend, who also is working on that secret project. Uh, if uh, our buddy uh, J-Mac had uh, gotten a chance to chime in, he would have also picked the same character, Tank Girl. Mm. Uh Played in not a, it's not her fault, but like played by Laurie Petty in a not great movie. Like, I don't think it was as faithful an adaptation as it could have been. I think it's right along the same lines as like Stallone and Judge Dredd. Like, it could be way better. Like, like if they remade it and Carl Urban was Tank Girl. Like, <laughs> could, <laughs> but no, like, I'm sure they could redo it. Like, and maybe Charlize could could play tank girl oh you know who i would pick for, for tank girl chloe moritz i think she i mean could, she could do it she could pull it off either chloe moritz or uh samara weaving i think either one of them but uh, uh we also oh yeah you go ahead it's your turn okay so good friend of the show colleen said agent 355 from why the last man She's a badass woman who has surprisingly realistic faults and human traits and has so much personal growth through the series. She is funny, self-reliant, and just so relatable. Also, Mazakine from Sam and slash Lucifer. I don't know that one either. I'm so bad at knowing. The, like, I only know, like, the mainstream ones, and which we're about to get into. Um, but uh, I have stuff for Colleen, like prizes that she's won that I have to get to her now that she's finally settled because like they just gave me all the stuff so I have to get it to her it's been like a year well I mean <laughs> you know um, excuse for a road trip yeah so our friend Crystal uh, sent us uh, Crystal Hank's mom sent uh, a picture of is that her last name yeah Hank's mom um, some lady shooting like circles at people and then said controlling the weather has never been more important and i said who is that windy and coop said i did tell pat and ashes on their sixth year anniversary they should do an episode on storm and i said sue storm because that's the invisible woman from fantastic four uh and i said that's captain gusty right there but obviously they're talking about storm but, like, I do that sometimes, like, when we were at the convention and there was a guy dressed as Batman, I'm like, who are you supposed to be? <laughs> so, yeah, and Storm is definitely a character that is on our radar, but there ha! is... Ha! I'm going to pretend I did that on purpose. Um, We've been tracking Storm for quite some time. 
Weather. She was sipping the banana daiquiri and she was tropical storm. Uh, but there's there's a lot to this character. There's a lot of history with this character. There are several different incarnations of this character. So we want to... It's one of those characters that we want to take our time with. We're definitely going to have to cover it, it now that Disney's bringing back the, the animated series. Right. But, you know, we, we want to give this character her proper due. So we're working on it, but it's going to happen. All right, so who do you got next? So our friend Phil from Dark Discussions, Dorkening Podcast Stuff, says Wonder Woman all the way. He also says that here and then posts a picture of a mug with, uh, I'm I'm assuming that's Wonder Woman. She's got, like, some rope. She's all like, yeehaw. Like, I don't know if she's roping some doggies or what she's doing. Roping some what? Doggies. Doggies? Yeah. You've never heard that term? You know, like it's like on on the range, you know, roping saddle up the doggies, like not dogs, but like I don't know why they call them that, but it's like I forget if it means horses or cows. Probably cows. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird Western thing. You've never heard that term. You you're, lived you're in Texas. Saying, you're saying words, but I you lived in don't Texas. Know what they mean? And you've never heard that. No, term. I've I've never heard that term. I lived in Texas briefly, and you can't go five minutes without someone like, oh, let's go wrangle the doggies. <laughs> like, I'm a rancher. I don't know. Whatever. I can go wrangle some donuts. Oh yeah. Let's go wrangle some donuts. Oh, I, I almost stopped today. If I wasn't driving a goddamn box truck, I would have stopped at the Little Bolton store because they have, like, fresh cider donuts that they make daily. Uh, but I was driving a 16-foot box truck that has no backup camera. It took me 15 minutes to adjust the side mirror, and it still wasn't right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he also, like I said, Phil also said that uh, on here. And I don't know what's in this beverage. I'm guessing tea, maybe coffee, maybe chocolate milk. Ovaltine. It is brown. Ovaltine, yeah. Uh, Nesquik. We do have another uh, tank girl on here. Uh, Trey says tank girl because what's not to love? Also, Batwoman provides a badassery of Batman. Great representation for multiple groups that often get overshadowed in comics because she is part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and her stories often have an interesting supernatural slash psychological twist. What do you got? So our friend, the Red Queen, the badass burlesque performer she mm-hmm. is, uh, she says Velvet because it's about a badass middle-aged lady spy who just kicks ass. I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> kind of ties in a little bit to our discussion today. Yeah. Uh, Dynamo Myers says Kitty Pride. My generation legitimately grew up with her. She's like proto Harry Potter. And I will say, as a kid, I had a crush on on Kitty Pride, Shadow Cat, uh, because she had the Meow. dragon Lockheed. Lockheed was her little dragon. He was like a foot and a half tall. Uh, not to be confused with the way it was presented in the New Mutants film, but uh, yeah, she had a little dragon. She was part of. Uh, Excalibur, she uh, she's uh, she was played by Ellen Page in the in the uh, X Men movies. Elliot Page did not have a dragon, though. No, but at the time it wasn't. I know what you're saying. No, but well, well, I'm I'm saying 
There was no dragon. There was no in dragon. In the X-Men films. But there was in the New Mutants film, for some reason, Anya Taylor-Joy's character had it. Uh, but uh, he also says Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl slash Oracle, because after she got paralyzed in the killing joke, she used her eidetic memory to assist Batman. She was the guy in the chair, like literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then somehow she got her ability to walk back. I don't know. Um, uh, he says, she's just always been my favorite badass, nerdy, super cool. Then Jean Grey, ultra powerful, ultra vulnerable. My love for her mostly comes from before she came back to life. I don't know if they've done anything great with her since Trial of Phoenix. Uh, Domino, just my favorite power set. I liked Domino when I first saw her uh, in, uh, she was part of X-Force. Back when it was drawn by Rob Liefeld. Uh, Dazzler. I know you like Dazzler. Mm-hmm. Big part of my favorite X-Men lineup, he says. Misty Knight, a badass PI with a robot arm. What's not to love? I don't know who Misty Knight is. She-Hulk, great character, super underrated. Uh, She-Hulk got her own show. The teaser trailer just dropped for that. Uh, Cassie Hack, you'll be surprised to know I have a soft spot for Monster Hunters, of course. Black Canary and the Birds of Prey, most underrated comic ever. That just this is still going. There's mm-hmm. a lot more of these. Uh, the ladies and the New Warriors. Namorita, her famous cousin gets her more famous cousin gets all the FaceTime, but I would love to see more of her. So her cousin being Namor the Submariner. Uh, Firestar, who was part of the old like '60s Spider-Man comic, uh, uh, not comic. TV show or 70s, I don't know, whenever it came out. Uh, it was like Spider-Man and the Super Friends. It was like Iceman, Firestar, and Sp- Super uh, Spider-Man. Uh, Silhouette. Silhouette is cool. She was, I think, the first uh, disabled character I ever saw. She uh, walks around. She uses um, crutches um, because her... Uh, her legs do not work. She just balances completely on the crutches, and she can melt into the shadows and become pretty much invisible. Um, the ladies of the Teen Titans, Raven, duh, ultimate goth superhero. Starfire, the male fantasy turned on its head. Donna Troy, easily the most underrated character in comics and so cool, so powerful, way more interesting than her more famous cousin, who I think is Wonder Woman, but I may be wrong. Uh, Vampirella, she's really much more than a cheesecake costume. Red Sonia, see the above. Red Sonia is a movie from the 80s uh, with Schwarzenegger. Opposite of Conan the Barbarian? Or am I just getting that all kinds of mixed up? It might be. I've never seen it, but I think like Schwarzenegger is part of that. Uh, and then last, Fire and Ice, Justice League International's one-two punch. Um so that was, that was Domino. Uh, Domino. Sorry, I was scrolling, scrolling through, and I meant to say Dynamo, and I saw Domino. So yeah, Domino Mars. Uh, so there's quite a few right there. Uh, you go for a few. So our friend George asked, does the misanthropic musings of Spider Jerusalem count as a hero? I don't know what don't that is. I don't know what that is. And I was like, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, the Good Witch Anna Maria said, There's only a few of them, but Anita Blake, vampire hunter from the Guilty Pleasure series. She is a U.S. Marshal standing at 5'2 and takes no bullshit. Uh, our f- Amalgamania friend 
Jordan said Ellis Seed found on Webtoons, Miss You also called the chairwoman. The whole comic is fantastic, but Miss Yu is a young woman who is relatively quiet, but so incredibly powerful in her own right. She is a leader of a group of superpowered of superpowered people, as well as takes care of her teenage brother and his friends. She tries to help each of them growing up and strengthening their abilities. She knows when to form friendships and alliances with the other groups, but isn't afraid to put someone in their place if they threaten those friends or allies. Let's play Webtoons. All the ladies are great in their own way, but I want to mention Sam and Monica. Sam's quirky and quiet. Sam's quirky and quiet, but is making an effort to grow into her best self while still owning that she's not a person yet. Not that person. She's a person. She's just not that person yet. She's not yet. a person. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not a person right now. Um, she's a video gamer creator and also plays RPGs. She's intensely sweet and kind and goes out of her way to help her friends feel seen. And Monica is the empowering friend we all need in our lives. She's the woman that tells you it's all right to take up space and do the things that make you feel good and not care what others think of it. Sex positive. She's an influencer that runs a makeup fashion channel. She recognized when she needed to work on herself and step back to keep the toxicity from infecting her relationships further. Always loved hot girl. Hawk girl. That's a, that's a difficult. She loved word. hot girls. Hawk girl. She's intelligent, brave, strong, and so much more. And I'm such a sucker for her and Hawkman's love story. She said, "My Hero Academia, Ochako Uraraka." She's often. I'm under- sure that's exactly how it's supposed to well, be pronounced. I'm, it's o- Ochako. You're a rocker? You're a rocker. Am I a rocker? You... She's often underestimated but keeps surprising people. She works hard to aim for the kind of life she wants that hasn't been afforded to her. She's kind and takes care of her friends. She doesn't have to be the loudest voice for people to still hear her when she wants to get their attention. And that's it. Okay. So, and we have. Uh... We have a few more. Well, uh, Evil Corny says Storm. I mean. <laughs> so that's that's that. Uh, what else you got? That was my last one. Uh, our friend Robert said, blah, I just typed out mine, and it just vanished. But Magic is my favorite mutant, and Kamala Khan, aka Miss Marvel from Marvel Comics, is a very fun character. I can't wait for the series. But my fave right now may be Maki... Zenin from Jujutsu Kaisen. I don't know. Okay, so I'm not familiar manga with manga and anime. Okay. She doesn't possess the same abilities as other characters, but is still incredibly strong and works that much harder at being so. Her family is considered a powerful house and pretty much thinks lowly of her because she possesses no abilities. This makes her that much more determined to lead the house one day. 
And speaking of She-Hulk, which was previously mentioned, Steve Van Sampson says She-Hulk was always my favorite Marvel lady. She was kind of the original Deadpool with the fourth wall breaks in humor. She always just really stuck out for me. And as a huge X-Men fan, Storm and Psylocke are two huge faves. And our friend Rocky says, always Selena, even when being bad, she's good. Selena Kyle, Catwoman. So out of all those, there's one that wasn't mentioned that I think, uh, especially where she recently got her big screen adaptation, and I, I just think she's fucking great, uh, Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller is a phenomenal character. Um, like, she is ruthless. She is just badass, and she does whatever has to be done in order to uh, in order to accomplish the goal. And if she has to, you know, blow up a couple of people, then she has to blow up a couple of people. You know, what's that in the long run? Like, she knows who. Bruce Wayne is she knows who all the she knows all the 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 superhero identities like it's awesome um and we got to see that scene in in uh the original Suicide Squad we got to see that deleted scene where she's talking to uh Batfleck so how about you Ashes you got you got a couple so a couple of mine have already been said uh in the comic book book world uh, Selena Kyle, I'm a huge Catwoman fan. I love Catwoman so much. I love uh, most of her portrayals on the big screen. Um, my favorite is Julie Newmar. Uh, Julie Newmar can do no wrong in my book. Uh, Lee Merriweather also did a phenomenal job and in the have that film. Yes, and I picture. met her, and she's just absolutely wonderful. She complimented my coat and told me I smelled good. Um, just absolutely wonderful person. Uh, also, but I think my... It's up there with those. It's almost like a 1A, 1B situation. Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is just so perfect pun intended uh love it um dazzler was also mentioned and she's a character Allison who Blair. i really enjoy and the more i learn about her the more i like and the more i kind of want to see her represented more in the in the films um scarlet witch i love scarlet witch and again she's one of those the more i read about her the more i learn about her the more i like her and mm -hmm. you know she has a really interesting backstory and stuff uh, but from uh, a, a non-comic book place, uh, this is actually, so nothing new has been published, or I should say published, but created in a couple of years. And it's probably just because, you know, people get busy and um, do things. But anyways, it is a comic graphic novel type thing on Instagram of all places uh it's called kick-ass drag queen mm. created by bob the drag queen and illustrated by mateo lane and there are some things here uh like some panels and stuff and you go through and it tells a story different episodes and stuff but kick-ass drag queen really just stands you know fights 
against injustices. Uh, she stomps the fuck out of Nazis in her six-inch stiletto heels. She's just fabulous. She is a uh, a powerful black drag queen with a very intense fro. Uh, she is uh, so it's one of those. It's Bob. She's she's Bob by day. And then becomes kick-ass drag queen. Like when her when her superpowers activate, she becomes kick-ass drag queen. Uh, it's just fun, you know. It plays on some of the uh, yeah. It's like who the hell are you? First name kick-ass, last name drag queen. Like that's just fun. Uh, but yeah, and just totally kicks the crap out of homophobes and people who deserve to have the cat crap kicked out of them uh she her her evil her evil nemesis is slim chi a play on kim, kim chi, chi. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yes uh but it's just it's just a lot of fun and the the colors and the graphics and stuff are just uh gorgeous absolutely gorgeous uh a lot of super punny drag stuff uh but yeah and, and it's all on instagram so if you just look up kick-ass drag queen all one word it's there there are a few different episodes uh each little kind of like mini episodes has because uh, you know how like on Instagram, I think you can put up to like 10 different pictures and stuff. So like each little episode has like 10 panels. You just kind of swipe through. It's cute. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I kind of think that this is a fabulous way to get media to people. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Instagram is very, very popular. But no, well, I mean, not only that, you know, it's uh, it's free on the Internet. You know, I mean, you could probably go through and do a printed media as well you know have different stories but this is just such a great way to kind of promote and do things yeah i agree uh i missed one uh our buddy tj uh said jessica jones no costume no posing oh, just kicks all the butt fuck yes jessica you really enjoyed that I series i loved jessica jones i think partially because i really enjoy kristen, kristen ritter. ritter yeah uh, I thought that casting decision was brilliant. I and again, you know, the more I learn about her from, you know, her comic book roots and stuff, I love that character so much. That's a really good one. Hmm. I'm going to throw out uh one or two more just because, you know, we're we're already like way longer than I thought we were going to be going. But um, So let's make it longer. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a couple uh, real quick. Michonne from The Walking Dead. Fuck, I forgot that The Walking Dead was a graphic novel. So I'm going to go Michonne. Uh, I'm also going to throw uh, Hit Girl from Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, let's throw out another one. Uh, the Silk Spectre from Watchmen. Yeah, you really liked her. Silk Spectre 1 or 2? Probably one. Like, are you talking like? Because didn't she become like the the private investigator that ended up in? Because we could also say. Uh, well, it was Silk Spectre two. In the movie, but I'm talking about in the in the actual uh, comic and film and the HBO series. 
But the HBO series wasn't a graphic novel first, so yeah, we can kind of kind of skip that. But we could also say, um, I don't know, who's somebody that's super? Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl beat Thanos one-on-one. Like, Squirrel Girl has beaten everybody, but, like, it's usually, like, something that happens off screen. I say, how? It always happens off the Does page. Does she steal their nuts? Well, it doesn't work for everybody, but... Uh, so, yeah, if you guys have any more that you want to throw out to us, like, feel free. Uh, but I think we covered this fairly well. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to play the trailer for... Uh, for uh, Atomic Blonde, and we're going to talk some Atomic Blondness, and uh, we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Do you have a hankering for horror knowledge? We have such sights to show you. Do you require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? The Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs. From horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found.
escape and evasion. Provisioned in intelligence collection. Let's cut the crap, shall we? And hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's an impressive set of skills. Talents can be overrated. Lorraine, how well do you know James Gascoigne? Enough to say hello. He's dead. Find out who's hunting down our operatives. Where a lot of brave men and women are going to show up dead. Fuck. Your contact is David Percival. Let me help you with your bags. Welcome to Berlin. Fuck's sake. Trust no one. Oh, bollocks. You look like you need saving. <laughs> she absolutely So you made contact with the French operative? Obviously. I think I fucking love you. That's too bad. And we are back. That, of course, was the Red Band trailer, which, again, you know, we've talked about this with trailers. Uh, there's not as much description going on because they tend in to do... In a world. Yeah. You know, like you don't see a lot of that anymore. And one of the things, especially action films will do, is time the music to, like, whatever action, you know, whether it's gunshots or punching, and, like, they did that a couple mm. of times in this. Uh, let's sidestep for a moment and, and talk about the music in this film because... The soundtrack is killer. So many covers it of Blue Monday. So right, but, but but here's the thing. But it fits. It fits the time period and it fits the place. No, it does. But like, uh, you know, once would have been fine. You know, over in Europe, they were really heavy into the more like techno industrial stuff in Falco. the in the eighties. So. You know, I just, I, I loved it. I love it when, you know, I, I love it when a soundtrack has a score and that score is specific to that film. But I also love it when a soundtrack has all of these songs that you know. Like, I found myself singing along to every fucking song. You know, and first off, you know, having cat people as she's, like, getting oh, yeah. ready. Reminisce of, of, of Inglorious Bastards. Like, ugh. Like that was that was so good, but uh, the way that they're kind of able to use the soundtrack to transport you to the nineteen eighty nine Berlin, you know, yeah. like I I thought they did a really good job. It was perfect. Oh yeah, no, I didn't have any issue with it. I was just saying, like you know, they used Blue Monday twice, but they used two different versions of it. I just thought that was odd, you know, because they had the version that was in the trailer. That they used. In well, the I mean, movie. they used two different versions of "99 Luft Balloons." Yeah, too. but there's two different versions of that song. There's the American and the German version. Right, but uh, <laughs> one was more of a cover, and one was the actual version itself. But but yeah. anyway, still, like I just I loved it. I thought it worked. I thought they did a really good job. No, it definitely of creating well. the the ambiance in the film that they were looking to to do. You know, you 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 were transported to that time period. You felt like you were there. 
Yeah, because I remember when the Berlin Wall came down because that's how old I am. Like, I remember that. You know, it was something that was uh, very topical because it was a, a, a huge thing, um, obviously. And uh, I actually have a piece of the Berlin Wall from uh, our, uh, our 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 friend that does... Uh, he helps out with uh, Kales from the Crypt with some of her raffles, but... Uh, monster trunk memorabilia. Uh, so I got, I finally got it. It's one of the things I've always wanted is a piece of the Berlin Wall because I thought it would be a cool piece so, to have. One of the things that I love in films is when they kind of rewrite history. So uh, similar to you know Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I'm kind of drawing a blank on some of the other ones, but I know that they're there. Uh, rewriting history. So we all know that the Berlin Wall was torn down and, you know, what happened after, you know, the Cold War came to an end. Uh, relations uh, got better for the most part. Um, but in this instance, in this, you know, f for the sake of the story in this film and in the graphic novel that the this film is based off of, The Coldest City, the Berlin Wall never collapsed. That's interesting. Like, they never tore down the wall. Well, I mean, like, it, it's before that. It's before right, all right. of that. Um, just to quickly throw out uh, what you were talking about with the music... Uh, the music, the the score was done by Tyler Bates, who has done uh, Primal, also Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One and Two, Deadpool Two, Watchmen, and John Wick Three. So, pretty good at putting soundtracks together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this this starts because it even the movie even starts off with you know showing Reagan telling Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know, and um, they're like, you know, like the, the, the text on the screen is like, this is not that story. It's all right. about the shit it's, that was going on in the background. Correct. So it's all, you know, prior, like before the collapse of the wall and all of that stuff. But it's a, it's a story that, um, again, hypothetical, kind of rewriting history a little bit. Well, it's basically just giving you what's going on behind the scenes and how, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's it's fictionalizing history, like you're saying. Like, it's kind of showing you, like, there was more at play than just, you know, Reagan trying to get the, the wall torn down. Like, it was all about, like, this whole spy list that was, you know, coming under... Uh, the, the attack from all of the different governments, you know, your, uh, the, the French, the British, the Russians, the Germans, the Americans, like everybody was trying to get their hand on this because this list had, you know, pretty much every active agent and, you know, their, their covers and, and their aliases. So very interesting. So you had never seen this before. Correct. This was your uh, a first time watch for you. I had watched this a couple of years ago. Like I was still kind of hazy on it. Um, I totally forgot that John Goodman was in it. I remembered McAvoy. I remembered Charlize Theron, and I remembered uh, uh, Sophia Boutella. 
and that was about it. Uh, I forgot Toby Jones was in it. I forgot the dude who played Randall Tarley was in it. A lot of Game of Thrones people in this. Um, Till Schweiger, who was uh, also in Inglorious Bastards, so another Inglorious Bastards connection. Um, very good cast. So when you first watched this, because you know you seemed very intrigued when I talked about it uh, on last week's episode. So it's been a film that's been on my radar for quite a bit. I love Charlize Theron. I will pretty much watch anything that she's in. And I love the fact that as she gets older, she's taking on more and more of these action-type roles. Typically in Hollywood, once you're 40 years old, especially if, 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 you know, if you're a male, you get a pass. You're fine. You can, you can age and they'll still you know, put you with 20-year-olds and you, know, you can still kick ass and you can still do all this stuff. But if you're a woman in Hollywood, you kind of have an expiration date. So after 40, I believe it was um, Meryl Streep uh, in an interview once said that once she turned 40, the only roles that she were was being offered was like grandma roles and like old hag witch roles. I mean, obviously that changed for her, but she really had to uh, she really had to fight for some of the roles that she she got. And, you know, it's it's fucking Meryl Streep. Like, yeah, now I believe she's in her 70s. And you know what? She can still get it. She looks amazing. And she's still a brilliant actor. You know, your age doesn't take away from your act acting ability. If anything, as you mature, you get better because you become more seasoned. You've been doing this for a while. So it's nice to see Charlize Theron taking all of these, like, ridiculous, you know, uh, acting roles where you know she really has to immerse herself and train hard and and you know she is one to do most if not all of her own stunts you say yeah there most. was a lot that she did in this in this uh in this especially a lot of the fight scenes because as you pointed out while we were watching it because this is something that's a huge pet peeve of mine there were no cuts during the fight scene well here's the thing there were but they were so seamlessly and edited together. It wasn't like a Marvel seemed, film where there's six no, but, cuts but, for but a guy wasn't, throwing a punch. Um, it was because you know if you think about it, the camera had to the way the camera had to move and whatnot, um, the way that it was choreographed, the way that they set it up. Even though there were cuts that we didn't see or, or you know we we couldn't notice. I would imagine if you were a camera uh, person, like you would notice them. Yeah, I feel like you know if you were involved in editing, if you were involved Heavily in that, involved you know, you would, you would probably like be able to be like, okay, that that didn't quite match up with that. But to me, just the you know, casual film goer, like I I couldn't tell the difference, and you know, it kind of makes sense. Some of this this fight scene, it was really um, was really physical to the point where. Uh, the, the 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 shots that they were getting, like the the cameraman, really had to get out of the way, so I could understand. You know, they probably cut in certain parts so they could just kind of reangle everything a little bit to make sure that everyone was was safe. Uh, but this was actually a um, passion project for Charlize Theron because she got her hands. It was announced in 2015 that um, the coldest city was going to be made into a film and it made its way into uh, the hands of Charlize Theron and her production company. 
and she was the one who was really pushing for this to be a film and obviously she wanted the title role of Lorraine Broughton because you know why not why you know it's almost like uh, Reese Witherspoon will read a book and if she loves it she'll see if anyone has purchased the rights to make a film and if they haven't she will do that and then put herself in the film because, you know, she was having difficulties getting roles again because she's, you know, an aging woman in Hollywood. And she was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go create my own work. Uh, Kaylee Cuoco did that with the flight attendant. She read the book, um, looked into. She was like, I, I she's like, I, I read it and thought for sure that Reese Witherspoon would have already purchased the rights to it. But she didn't. So Kaylee Cuoco did and made the flight attendant with the, um, you know, the. the the intention, the, 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 the of, intention of her being in that role you know so <clears throat> the graphic novel found its way into the hands of Charlize Theron and her production company and she was just like this this has to be made into a film and I think it was done brilliantly this was so much fun yeah, I this really like it. was so much fun. Uh, the acting was superb. Uh, casting was perfect. I love James McAvoy. Recently just saw him in a film called Together that was uh, supposed to be like a, a, a kind of like a documentary that takes place over covid uh, it's it's interesting. it's a it's a really interesting role for him. It's a lot of dialogue. To the point where it really showcases his acting ability. And I think that James McAvoy is one of those really just highly underrated actors. Yeah, I, I definitely think he should have been up for Oscar consideration for a couple of different things that he's uh, been in. Split. Yeah, but I mean, he was really good in this as well. But you know, the, the casting was brilliant uh the writing was so good but it's it's these action shots the way that everything kind of has like a rhythm and a beat to it and you pointed this out uh it's very realistic in the sense that she gets her ass kicked like she always prevails but she gets her fucking ass kicked. Yeah, she is covered with bruises and bumps and you know. And like when we're first introduced to her character in the film, she's in an she ice bath. She is jacked up. She's in yeah. an ice bath and she emerges from the bath and <clears throat> all you see is her back just black and blue, just completely bruised up. And then you notice her face and she has a black eye and her you know welts all over her arms. Split like lip she is and... really fucking messed up and uh you know so you know it's like she's been through some shit it was one hell of a fight she's probably lucky to be out alive uh and then obviously the story unfolds from there but but yeah the fact that you know she's obviously well trained and she knows her shit but she really has to fight like really just physically fight to get out of some of these predicaments yeah and she goes through a lot of these um a lot of these situations and she like that's one of the bigger things that I like about her character is you know she's not just reacting to oh somebody's trying to beat me up like she takes the offensive like the opening scene where she gets picked up in the in the car by the two agents or they say that they're agents like working on behalf of of Percival um like she fucking jacks that dude up with her shoe like, because she notices he's got a gun. She notices that, like, it's a really smart fight scene. 
I absolutely love it when, especially a a, a woman um, in a in a fight scene or in a in a scene where she is on the defensive, takes like her shoe, like her heel, or takes uh, like a tube of lipstick that actually has a blade, almost like weaponizing things that are perceived as feminine and delicate. Yeah, like you know the. Uh... Having the stuff that, you know, would make it seem like she's indulging in her vanity. And I, I was honestly kind of hoping that she was going to take her Dior stiletto and uh, go single white female on him. Yeah. Just stiletto right to the eye. I was kind of hoping for that, but, you know, I uh, it, was still, uh, it was still a really fabulous scene. And, you know, kind of funny, kind of fitting that it was a Dior pump, seeing as Charlize Theron is the uh, is the face for Dior and their perfume. Oh, well, that's a fact that I would not have known. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. I know you feel better now knowing that. Yeah, she's... The, you, can, you can sleep now. She's Thank the face you. of the doors now that Jim Morrison's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the things that I, I really liked about this is that it was really well written and each of the characters played their parts very well, you know, kind of twisting and turning. And with her, like, you know, much like uh, a lot of the fight scenes, like even when the debriefing scene came, because they, they kind of, you know, interspersed the, the, the background of like, you know, two days ago, three days ago, a week ago, three days from now, you know, you have all the... Uh, you know, the main thing is she's basically recapping this mission that she had along with uh, uh, Randall Tarley. I, for, I forget the actor's name. Um, but John Goodman and Toby Jones, who are debriefing her. Toby Jones representing MI6 and uh, what's his face? Uh, Goodman representing the CIA. Um, and, like, there's this whole, like, all these different agencies kind of working together and really working for themselves like i'll help you out but like i will leave you behind once i get my goal like everybody wanted this list right well it was mi6 and the cia working together against the kgb yes it's one of those you know we both have a common enemy so let's team up and let's go after our enemy let's get this list that's beneficial to the both of us you know and then once once we're done we'll go our separate ways right like it's cooperation but only in the most essential like it's, i'm only doing what i have to do i'm going to well, give I mean, you the bare like, amount you know, of information i could probably obtain this information on my own there's a really good chance i could do it but there's also a really good chance I could fail. I need if I to get team it up done, with you, I need to get it done quickly. Right. And I so can it's get like it if, if I team you. up with you, we pool our resources. We have a better chance of getting it done uh, to the to, to the point where we know we can get it done, and we can get it done to the best of our ability. Yeah, and you know that's, that's the a, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, in this so case, the U.S. and MI6 would be allies in general, but they both have their own country's interests uh, in mind when they're trying to get this list. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll have the list, but like, 
we want to find out who is Satchel. We want to find out who is this person. Who is that person? Why was this guy killed? Like, there's a lot of really cool twists and turns and intrigue that goes on uh, with this story. And obviously... Lorraine is at the center of all of it. Right. So she's trying to figure out who the double agent is. She's trying to figure out who, who, who is Satchel, who has taken on the alias Satchel. And that's where David Percival, James McAvoy's character, comes into play. And he is supposed to be helping her find this list and ultimately find who this double agent is. And, you know, he, Percival, thinks that she's working for MI6. We all think she's working for MI6. She has this British accent, uh, unless she's trying to fool the KGB, in which she, you know, speaks with this Russian accent. Uh, And she kind of fools a lot of people. No, not kind of. She does fool a lot of people. You know, there are times throughout the film where you think, oh, well, maybe maybe it's James McAvoy. Maybe maybe Percival is the double agent because, you know, he does do a good job of kind of giving you that feeling. But they also uh, set you up to believe that Lorraine is the double agent. You know, she's constantly drinking Russian vodka and, you know, just like little plants like that that, you know, make you think, oh, well, maybe it's her like maybe you know she's looking for herself like that that's the best cover yeah basically i've been hired to catch myself so i can get everyone off of my track well i mean that's hannibal lecter hannibal lecter was the the you know we discussed this a while ago that was the um yeah he was the forensic psychologist trying to break down or psychiatrist trying to break down the uh, the the thoughts and the the patterns of the serial killer he was investigating, which was himself. So he was giving them just enough to kind of lead them like they were gonna make a breakthrough, but every time they hit a dead end, and that's you know like what she was doing, like because you were trying to figure out like was she a double agent, was she a triple agent, was she. You know, a single agent, you know, and she's just working for herself. You know, maybe she's just working for the weekend, you know. Who knows? But there's a a lot of, you know, mistrust and, um, you know, and that's part of the reason the, uh, the, the, not the, I don't want to call it an interrogation. I mean, it kind of is, but the debriefing scene, like, that's what's, why that's happening. They're like, oh, did you do this? Did you do that? Where's the evidence? Why didn't you do this? Like, you know, questioning everything that she did while telling her, like, you know, use whatever means necessary to, you know, get this list. And then questioning the manner in which she does it, which I thought was interesting. Now, there were different characters that she had to interact with, and some were a little more experienced with the spycraft game than she was or than others I should say because you know we had Sophia Butella who basically was just kind of like just breaking in like she had been doing some of her like freelance stuff like she knew some things about Charlize like oh I ordered you this drink Stoli on the rocks you know like you know, she had been photographing her and photographing some other other characters, just 
kind of trying to break into the spy game. Right, and she was more uh, more so a friend than a foe. And the character of Delphine in the uh, graphic novel is actually a male. So they talked about uh, having Lorraine be bisexual in the the film adaptation um a because they just wanted to be you know provocative in a sense and kind of give people something to talk about but uh also to kind of show that Lorraine will pretty much do anything to get information. Yeah, and I think that's that's like one of those. She doesn't really have friends. She doesn't establish friendships. She establishes uh, informate like 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 information pathways. So I'm not friends with you. I'm just feigning friendship so that I can get what I need from you. I'm looking for information. So, you know, her having that scene with Delphine, uh, you know, Sophia Batella, uh, it was really much, pretty much just a her trying to get Delphine to let her guard down and give her information, which she does. Right. But I also think she had, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a, a liking. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, and who wouldn't? But, you know, I mean, I think that there was definitely some, you know, uh, mixing business with pleasure. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, why not? If it works, it works. And, and clearly in this situation, it works because, you know, she was able to get vital information from Delphine that, you know, she probably would have gotten eventually. But Delphine just coming out and telling her. Is a lot quicker. Made it way easier. Right, right. You know, um, you know, and and putting Delphine in that position to where you know they were both, they were both feeling really vulnerable at that point, anyways. And Delphine felt that she could trust, you know, and had Lorraine's best interest at heart when giving her that information. Like the line, "Your eyes change when you tell the truth." Like you look different. You know, it's almost like a, a a poker player having a tell. You know, and and as a as a you know highly secretive, covert operative, you know, she needs to be aware of. Like, there are certain things you cannot control. Like, you know, if you get excited, you can keep your face completely stoic, but you know, your pupils might dilate. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that you have no control over and someone who is observing you can see that this happened and you know that's how like those those cold reader psychics deal with people because there's a whole bunch of different like facial tics and things that you know you have no control over but knowing that if she tells the truth her eyes change a little bit or you know something about her looks slightly different uh she can kind of practice those affectations and kind of uh insert them seamlessly into the rest of her repertoire of uh of i don't want to say moves but like you know techniques and and her her skill set but not only that you know it, it goes to show you that you could be the best trained spy assassin what have you and still be human you know you're still going to have these human tics that uh are are, are you don't think about 
you know, the, these like subconscious things that happen that, you know, even though you're trying to keep a straight face, you know, you can't prevent your pupils from dilating or, or whatnot. I mean, like, I'm sure there are a couple of tricks that you can do, but still like little things like that, like your hair is going to stick, you know, the hair on your arms are going to stick, you know, it's going to stick up regardless you know like like certain things certain reactionary things, and things like are that. going to happen you know so it's like you could be the in total control brilliant yeah in in, in perfect control of the entire situation and there are still going to be slight human inflections that happen that could give you away right and it's you know it's one of those things where you know now that she's aware of it she can do her best to kind of mitigate that that uh, that tell, uh, so to speak. I thought she was um, excellent in this. Like, whatever specific thing that she needed to do in order to advance, uh, not just the plot, but advance her mission, uh, I think she did it very, very well. Like, between, you know, dealing with uh, uh, Spyglass dealing with Bill Skarsgård, the the protest thing with the umbrellas. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a great scene. Well, I mean, you know, and Delphine helped give her the information that, you know, she realized that Percival was about to betray her. Yep. Uh, And so she, you know, took care of that situation uh, and realized that, you know, he had been spying on her the entire time. Not that she really trusted him to begin with, um, but, you know, getting that information that kind of validated, you know, okay, he's... He's a big old jerk. Yeah, like, he's up to no good. Like, he's really just in it for himself. And, uh, you know, she obviously took care of that situation. Um, To her being able to kind of weave amongst these three different groups that she was playing, you know, kind of uh, toying with, you know, the KGB, the MI6, and the CIA her being able to change accents at the drop of a hat, her being able to, not only that, keep all of the information correct, not getting any of her wires crossed, and keeping with the lie that she's been telling everybody. Yeah, it's... I wonder, as as you're t- talking about this and talking about like the, the skilled way in which she weaves this tale, I'm wondering how much of the story was actually true. Like, how much of what she said actually went down the way she said it did. Because, I mean, they have no way of knowing because she's just that good. She's telling them a story that results in, uh, you know, one party getting the list over another you know, and the way she does it, I really think that there's more to this story. And I'm sure the graphic novel expanded upon it. Well, here's the thing. So Charlize Theron actually trained with Keanu Reeves 
while prep, you know, in preparation for this film, Keanu was getting ready to film John Wick 2. That's where the director, David Leitch, came from. He directed John Wick. That's why, and, and Charlize Theron loved John Wick so much. She was like, I want you to direct this film. Uh, so he left John Wick 2 to do this film. Now, there are talks that there may potentially be a crossover someday. They like to believe that this takes place in the same universe. The only issue is that... The time, I yeah, know. She like, would this be... is 89. Right. So, uh, in some way i don't know but it's it's nice to think about because you know who john wick is and what he does and who he works for yeah i mean she's 30 years older than him you know give or take because they're about the same age but this is taking place in 1989 as opposed to 2019 you know what i mean so I mean, I'm just, I'm just know, telling would be, you what I read. It would read. be rad. Like I wouldn't mind seeing her in like one of those, like, uh, like a or Halle Berry be, or Angelica Houston I was roles. Say, or, or it could be one of those, uh, like then and now type things. Or even like you know, young John Wick being trained by her. You know, who would you cast as young John Wick? Young John Wick, Timothy Chalamet. I mean, he doesn't look anything like Keanu. Well, no, but I mean, well, if if he's supposed to be this like neophyte, like scrawny Russian kid, I don't know. Like this wasn't something I had prepared, and he's the. It's a recency bias because I just saw in Dune a week ago. So I mean, oh, you know who I would cast as young Keanu, and I think he could pull it off. Hudson West. Hudson West as a young Keanu. There we go. That's that's our that's our young John Wick. We're gonna make that happen. I could see him doing that. And he's young enough, he's only like thirteen. So that's what I'm gonna go with. Some people will understand why why I chose Hudson West. Other people will not. But look him up, he's good. But also, uh, this film has heavy influences from another graphic novel, uh, Ed Brubacher's Velvet. Yeah, somebody mentioned Velvet, but we'll, you know, we talked about that earlier. This is both are Cold War spy thrillers centered around veteran female agents wronged by their employer. Both works feature the protagonist entangled with an inter international coalition of American and British intelligence, although Velvet never mentions MI6 or CIA by name. Yeah, probably because, you know, they don't want to get sued and everything, so... Well, I mean, or, you know, maybe no, it just wasn't, uh, you know, sometimes naming things aren't really... It's not really relevant to the plot. You can kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah, like, just... You know, you it's implied you know what it is. But it also reminds me of... Um, Daniel Craig was recently under fire for... Uh, in an interview they were talking about uh, the next James Bond because obviously he reprised his role for No Time to Die. I think that's what's the most recent one. No, Time to Die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I believe this may, that may be his last 
one yeah and there have been talks of you know if this is daniel craig's last you know james bond appearance who's going to you know take over the reins um far too blonde Idris Elba is far too blonde, yes. Uh, and, and they asked, you know, oh, like, what would you think about a, a, a woman, like a female in that role? And he was against it. And it was taken out of context because he feels that, you know, a, a, a woman deserves to have her own character. A woman can't play James Bond, but a woman can play 007. Correct. That's how I look at it. Um, you know, uh, a woman deserves to have her own character uh, created and, you know, deserves to have, like, her own franchise versus almost like piggybacking off of a franchise that's already there. And I get it. And a lot of people were saying, you know, Atomic Blonde could be that franchise. Now, it was announced that Atomic Blonde 2 was happening. and Cold War Boogaloo. <laughs> yes. Uh, I believe it's been picked up by Netflix. Uh there were time. I mean, and obviously, COVID kind of threw a wrench in some things. Well, but I mean, yeah, she's been doing stuff like that a lot. That, um, the 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 last news that I read was that uh, Netflix picked it up. You know, so it's one of those things that it was proposed, and they were looking for a home for it. And next, Netflix picked it up in 2020, so it's 2021. Um, I haven't been able to find any like pre-production news or anything like that but you know I'm, I'm actually kind of hoping that it happens she yeah she just did a film for netflix earlier this year was it earlier this year last year i don't what is what is time anymore really uh but anyways where she plays a really badass assassin-like character yeah and now i don't remember the name of it it wasn't terrible. Like, it was a pretty like good power film. power pack or something? Like, I know that's not what it is, but... Well, I mean, you have this device in your hand right now that you could technically look it up with. Yeah. It's, uh... Shit. Yeah, where they're all, uh... Like, fancy... Like, fun... We talked about it earlier this year, too. It's... Uh. Hold on. I got it. Uh, not Snow White, not the Adams Family. Old Guard. Old Guard, yes. Yes, and that one definitely has itself set up to be sequelized. But um, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, the Old Guard came out last year. Yeah, and that was pretty good too. Um, she's a very, very versatile actor. But, uh, but anyways, getting back to Atomic Blonde. Uh, and I really love the name, too. I just thought that was fantastic. You know, instead of calling it the coldest city, uh, Atomic Blonde sounds so much cooler. Mm -hmm. Definitely has that, like, 80s vibe to it. Uh, but anyways, um, the ending. The the brilliant ending where, you know, everything's finally coming to a head. Everything's happening. All of a sudden, she's meeting with a KGB agent who's referring to her as Satchel. And you're just like, what? Mind blown. And then, you know, she's at this debriefing and she says her piece and she leaves. And then, you know, uh, fast forward to a couple days later, she's meeting up with John Goodman again. And she has an American accent. And she's been working for the CIA. 
what triple agent yeah she was called it she was really good like the the twist was good i enjoyed this quite a bit right you know the fact that they were able to kind of keep you lingering on this is she isn't she what is she doing is it this character because they made it it seem like mcavoy was satchel right right they made it seem like he was the double agent and just kind of i know we're not talking about him but i thought that this little tidbit was absolutely brilliant in an interview with imdb originals james mcavoy said that he learned that mi6 post-world war ii liked to recruit alcoholics drug addicts and gay men because they had usable experience in holding a big secret that was transferable into being a spy i thought that's quite interesting so i decided to go with that hardcore and try to make percival as alky and as druggy as possible i wanted to make him gay i wanted to make him a gay man as well but they wouldn't let me because charlize is gay in it or at least she's bi in it i don't know or maybe she's just doing it for the job i'm not quite sure Mm-hmm. But, you know, him tapping into that and playing that type of character, I thought was just absolutely perfect. Um, but, it, you know, it, it just it really kept you on your toes. You know, is he isn't he is she isn't she? You know, who is he working for exactly? Who is she working for exactly? And the way that uh, they were able to keep again, you know, keep everything straight so everything kind of got jumbled at one point, but the wires were never crossed. Like you could still keep, you know, it's like, okay, well, she's having conversations with this person. She's going to see the the, 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 the timepiece maker, but clearly that's just a cover for something. He knows, like, it was just all over the place, but in the best possible way. Yeah. Yeah, and I, again, I think that her, her, uh, her skill at acting is like really on display like you said like she's she's so good she can do so many different things and in this role she was you know funny she was serious she was badass she was very fashionable yes um but i loved it like she even said like if i had known this was going to happen i would have worn a different outfit yeah yeah, so she doesn't always she doesn't always dress for the job, so to speak, uh, or she doesn't. She dresses for the job that she thinks she's going to be doing, not for the job that she's actually going to be doing. Uh, but I just I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was so good, and I'm really hoping that you know the sequel does happen because I I think it would be fantastic to continue this story, and to see where it goes. I mean, granted, you know, if it remains a standalone movie, that's fine because that big reveal at the end, I was just, I, I literally was just, I, I verbally cheered. Yeah, you were like, like, yes! It's like, oh my God. I was just, it was perfect. And, you know, obviously, Charlie's getting her hands on the subject matter and being like, hey, I want to make this movie, I want to be in it. You know, therefore, there weren't any like opposing casting decisions or whatever. I don't know if anybody else would have been able to play that role as well as she could. It would have been difficult. The only thing, although I did, uh, when she had her makeup uh, and her her ensemble at the end, she looked like Kate Beckinsale. So Kate Beckinsale might have been able to pull it off, but. I don't know about doing all the accents. Yeah, no, I don't think accents are Kate Beckinsale's best friend. <laughs> she can do British. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, yes, she can. Uh, but Romanian, yeah, not so you much. You know, uh, Lorraine Broughton being the chameleon that she is, being able to kind of. It's a perfect role for Charlize Theron. Right. Put herself into all of these different situations, be able to change her appearance enough to the point where you don't recognize her, being able to seamlessly change her accent at like the drop of a hat. You know, it was just, she's a very fascinating character. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm very intrigued in the actual graphic novel now, and I might pick it up at some point and check it out. Yeah, I think we should. Because I haven't read it either. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to uh, to uh, stop for now. So when we come back, we will have uh, some more interesting stuff for you. A new battle. We do have a new battle. And it's going to be awesome. And when we have a new battle, obviously we'll play the new battle theme. So we will be right back with our awesome new battle and the battle theme. At Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated, autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with the majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son William was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strong-Willed Movement. For more information on how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Strongwilled Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do you have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? And it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats Exotic Game Sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky sample pack with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor sample pack featuring all ten flavors so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary.
we're back. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, the the uh, theme song. And again, it's a version of Blue Monday. Like we said, there was like 47 different versions of Blue Monday in the in the film. So watch one more as the main theme. Uh, but I do hope you enjoyed the, uh, the discussion, uh, not just of uh, Lorraine, but uh, the whole discussion at the beginning about all everybody's favorite uh, female comic book characters, because there are some great ones. And uh, do yourself a favor, pick up some some comics, and you know, get to know some of the characters that you know you're going to be seeing in Marvel. So, you know, especially on the big screen and the small screen. You know, look up who Kate Bishop is. Look up who uh, Jennifer Walters is. You know, find out. You know, because we've seen a lot of people who claim to be gatekeepers of comics like, oh, why is there a girl Hulk now? Oh, who made the Hulk a girl? Oh, oh everybody's going to be so woke. Not understanding that Jennifer Walters has been around for 50 fucking years. But, hey, what, you know, they, they know best, you know. Um, but, uh, Ashes, you want to you wanna talk about some, some wine today, do you well, not? I, I do, but I also want to throw down a battle. You want to throw down a battle today? Yes. What? Since when do we do that? Uh, we do that every other Thursday. I don't know. I'm about sorry. That. You're, I mean, you're new, so I don't expect you to get the memo. It's but, my uh, first day. It's 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 my first day. I don't know what everyone wants from me. This is my <laughs> first day. I just got here. I'm an intern. I'm unpaid. I I. I uh, so is there like something special we do if we if we throw down a battle? <gasps> we have to play the battle theme. By with my little eye, a battle. We're calling this the badass bombshell beatdown. Which skilled spy has the lethal combination of brains and brawn to defeat their opponents? Special guest referee, John Wick. You can choose from Lorraine Broughton from Atomic Blonde, Lana Kane from Archer, <laughs> Emma Peel from The Avengers. Or Sydney Bristow from Alias. So which which uh, Avengers are we talking? Uh, like original sixties with um, Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. I was are we say talking Queen about of... the film that came out in the nineties with Ray Fiennes and Uma, Uma Thurman. Thurman? Just just Emma Peel. Okay. Oh, she's an appealing fellow. In fact, they're appealing her off the windshield. <laughs> I don't know. That's a Simpsons thing. That I tried to work was... in there. <laughs> lame it didn't work out but yeah uh, that's a that's a good one i uh i like all of those those characters right and... all really just fucking badass killer spy characters yeah jennifer garner was one that i had a crush on as a as a kid back when alias came out i mean i yeah you know she she seems like kind of cool you know maybe i'll work with her someday who knows maybe um but you also have wine that you want to talk about this I week. I do have wine that I want to talk about Even this week. Even though we talked about booze earlier, and I just want to throw out that in one of the vans that I was driving, I found uh, some screwball peanut butter whiskey sunglasses, and I've been wearing them for the last couple of days. I did sanitize them first. I poured hand sanitizer all over them and wiped them off. So 
because like I don't know what who's grubby. Is face that why I would say? Is that why the lenses are so streaky? Yeah, but they're great, so I wore them. You don't need to see where you're going. Uh, so I recently picked up a bottle of wine that I I haven't tried before. Uh, I've had wine from this this um distributor this vineyard it's barefoot uh and you know barefoot sellers not terrible wine uh, i i i've had some of their wines and that i've enjoyed better than others uh, i've had some of their wines that i have not enjoyed at all uh but but, they, but i can usually find something Something about you know, like their sweeter reds are pretty good. They'll like red moscatos and stuff like that. Their their moscato is actually um, really good, and it's cheap. It actually makes great sangria. Uh, but I recently found something of theirs called a winter blend, and I was just like, oh hey, I mean, it was clearly red. Uh, so I was like, oh, go, what are you? Let me let me you know try you out. No, I couldn't find any information. Did as you to- try the wine from the eighties, simply red? Uh, you're looking for information (laughs) i was trying to come up with a witty retort and i couldn't think of one oh my brain stopped functioning for a moment oh i hate it when that happens um so anyways i it's barefoot sellers it's their winter blend it's a red now unfortunately i couldn't find any information about the uh different varietal of of grapes that were used or the percentages but the description is a jammy and we all know how i love it when a wine is described as jammy uh jammy and dark wine layered with sweet caramel aromas and flavors Blackberry and blueberry will excite and delight your senses with each sip. Enjoy the smooth, lingering vanilla finish. Pairs perfectly with gingerbread cookies and a cozy fire. So it was really, I, I, the price point was perfect. It was like $6 for the bottle. You really can't go wrong with that. Uh, It was a nice red blend, you know, very fruity, uh, but not, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Um, Darker berries. So, you know, like a blackberry, a blueberry, maybe even a little bit of like a dark cherry, like a black cherry. Uh, Darker fruits tend to have more of a... um, Tart? No, not tart. Sweet. Sweet tarts. (laughs) You're a sweet tart. Uh... Kind of like a richer berry flavor. Um, When you think of like a wild berry flavor, you know, has more of like a a richer berry flavor to it than maybe like a like a strawberry or like a a lighter like maraschino like cherry uh, or raspberry. Really good. So it has like that that dark berry flavor to it. You definitely get the notes of of caramel, but it's not overly sweet. It's a really good blend of um, dry with a little bit of sweet. So it's so it's not like it's it's definitely not a sweet wine, but it would pair really well with something sweet because it has that like you know 
caramel uh, tones to it and that really smooth vanilla finish. It's really nice. So I will probably, you know, this might be my my winter wine um, until Apothic comes up with something Winter else. wine, your land? I guess a winter. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, but when the white runs out, I'll drink the red too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good. And like I said, with the price point and everything, you really can't go wrong. You know, serve at room temperature. Um, it, paired, it paired really nicely to the lettuce that fell in my glass. I don't know how you that You dropped gets... lettuce into your wine glass like six times. And I don't, I don't know where the hell you got the lettuce. I don't know how it happened. It just, just, just the lettuce just manifested in my wine. Uh but anyways, yeah, so it's Barefoot Cellars, their winter blend. It's a seasonal, you know, uh, wine, so probably won't be on shelves for too, too long. But if you're interested, it's definitely worth a try. Yeah, I mean, you were drinking that the other night. And again, you know, you can, you know, the lettuce is just a serving <laughs> you can, suggestion. You don't, you don't have to put the lettuce in it. Really. You know, it's, it's like those okay. boxes of cereal that have like, you know, <laughs> strawberries or something on it. And it says, you know, just, just, just a serving suggestion. Yeah, just a suggestion. Yeah, you don't, you don't have, have to. have to put the lettuce into it. In fact, I would recommend you don't. Um, but I have a new uh, science fact today. I mean, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. But there was a, an article that I shared recently about... Uh, People have found venomous sharks in the Thames River in London, and this is a species of shark. It's called the spiny dogfish, or the spur dog, or the mug mud shark, or the piked dogfish. Um, it is uh, it has little barbs on on its uh, dorsal fin. Uh, so let me let me just read this: the uh, spiny dogfish, spur dog, mud shark, squalus. Acanthias or piked dogfish is one of the best known species of the squalidae per dogfish family of sharks, which is part of the squaliforms order. While these common names may apply to several species, Squalus acanthias is distinguished by two spines, one anterior to each dorsal fin, and no anal fin. Lives in shallow waters and further offshore in most parts of the world, especially in temperate waters. Those in the northern Pacific Ocean were reevaluated in 2010 and found to constitute a separate species now called the, the Pacific spiny dogfish, Squalus succlii. Uh, these were uh, essentially thought to be biologically dead. Like they were gone. Like they, it was, it's, I don't know if biologically dead is the right term, but it was a, it was a weird term like that. Um, that there were like, kind of meaning extinct, but it turns out the Thames River is, you know, home to more and more species of fish than previously thought, and uh, venomous sharks are one of those things. So that's probably going to be a, a future film from sci-fi, venomous sharks. Um, I don't know. You could maybe combine it with the symbiotes from Marvel, but I don't know. Uh, it, I think it's kind of cool that there's so many of these things. Like, they're not only are they like sharks are not just like the the perfect, perfectly evolved, uh, you know, engines of of predation, but now you're giving them like offensive weapons as well. I just think that's rad. Um, so, Ashes, what do we what do we got coming up? 
Well, I don't know if you know this, but apparently next Thursday is a holiday. Um, what, Thursday? Wait, that doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know. What's the, what's the holiday? Drive Turkey Day? Yes! <laughs> Jive Turkey Day. Trading Places um, Day? It's Thanksgiving for those who celebrate, and uh, or at least here in the U.S. Um, and we thought it would be a really good time to cover a character that is part of a television series, and this television series has several Thanksgiving episodes, you know, it's very uh, common for shows to do like Christmas episodes or, or, you know, like, like the Simpsons, they have their Treehouse of Horror episode, their Halloween episode that you look forward to every season. Uh, maybe not the more recent seasons, but you know, but uh, they're known for their really awesome Halloween episodes. And this specific television series is known for its really awesome Thanksgiving episodes. We're talking, of course, about one of our favorite animated series Bob's Burgers Uh, we're going to be talking about Tina Belcher yes the eldest Uh, daughter a character who we actually haven't covered yet surprisingly because we've covered the rest of the Belcher family have we done Jean I don't know if we've done Jean I know we've done Louise I know we've done Linda I know we've done Bob but uh, to quote Tina uh, this is my surprise face this is my everything's all right face. <laughs> uh, so yes. that'll be fun. This is going to be a really fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I think with that being said, we, we will, will see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday.